are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos only on 101.9 High FM. Point nine. This is Soul to Soul on Chai FM in a brand new year. Our first broadcast, Baruch Hashem, of the year Tough Shin Pei Gimel Erev Shabbos Kodesh Pashas Vayelech Shabbos Shuva. In the middle of the Aseret Shuva, what a gift from our Kodesh Baruch What a matana! What a special chesed! Baruch Hashem Shechianu VeKimanu VeGianu Lazman Azewi Ben Zecher. To start another new year of Torah, of growing together on a Friday afternoon, Baruch Hashem, Shechyonu V'Kiyamanu, and and a big, first of all, a, a Gemach Sima to all of you, and I hope Rosh Hashanah went very well, Baruch Hashem, hope the davening was inspiring, I hope that you got something out of it, out of the Joshes, out of the Tzki Shoefer, and that now we're on a high as you prepare ourselves, Metz Hashem, for Yom HaGodol V'HaKodesh, for Yom Kippur, HaBolein L'Toiva, in just about four, four days. And there's lots to talk about, and we'll talk later in the show about how we can get ready for Yom Kippur, what HaKodesh Baruch wants, and then at the end, Metz Hashem, in our Halakha slot, we're going to talk a little bit about the Indian of Kol Nidre, which is how we start Yom Kippur. But let's start with the Pasha. So now, write this song for yourselves and teach it to the Bnei Yisrael. Now, this Shira song to which the Torah is referring is actually Shira Sazinu, next week's Pasha, which is called the song because we know it's written in the form of poetic verse. Now, the Rambam in the implies from here that it is a mitzvah for every Jew to write a Sefer Torah for himself. Although the Torah here says only to write a song, it's incumbent on us to write the entire Sefer Torah. It seems that the Torah is being written in order to write Shira Sazinu. That's a funny thing. I have a whole Torah just for one Pasha. Why should the mitzvah of Siva Torah, writing a Sefer Torah, <coughs> be presented in kind of such a roundabout, write a whole Sefer Torah so that you can have Shira Sanzino? Furthermore, we are allowed to write the individual Pashas of Tfilin and Mezuzis, which are later put into their cases. What about the prohibition of writing individual Pashas? Not allowed to. Furthermore, in the time of the Besamikdash, the Pashas of Saita, the late dealing with the the woman who unfortunately has gone off and, and uh, rebelled against her husband, is written separately. What is different about Shira Sazinu that it cannot be written unless it's part of an entire Sefer Torah? So Moshe Feinstein suggests 
that we focus on the reason stated by the Torah for writing Shir Sazinu. And that is, that this song shall be for me a witness against Beneso. The function of the song is to bear witness, to attest to the Jewish people's observance of the Torah. Clearly, in order to bear witness, it's incumbent that we have to be proficient in the entire Torah concerning which the Shira will testify. Without the Torah, we would be hard-pressed to know that when Hashem uh, decrees punishment, it's because a punishment uh, for our lack of keeping to the mitzvahs of the Torah. Hashem's will is stated in the Torah. He tells us what He expects of us. If we have no Torah, we can hardly know the correct manner of observance. Without the book of directions, it's difficult to use the the app appropriately. Without Torah as one's guide, his desire to grow and excel spiritually will be impeded. On the contrary, he he may stray through no fault of his own other than a lack of Torah knowledge and Chassashon perform totally wicked actions. The generation of Enosh, who began worshipping idols, made the grave mistake of thinking that it was Hashem's will that they worship His celestial bodies. Perhaps they meant well, but without the illumination of the Torah, they groped in the darkness until they perpetuated the most terrible treason against Hashem. This misconduct is the product of Torah ignorance. Such unawareness produces similar results in any other area that we might attempt to serve to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So therefore, says Rav Moshe, the command to write the Sefer Torah is really a command to write the entire Torah, to study it and become fully proficient in all of it. In this manner, when we come across the punishments expressed in the song, which are the consequence of our lack of observance, we'll be able to look in the Torah and learn how to expiate our sins and correct our ways. This is one more point on High FM, Soul to Soul. We're coming back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Mayelech, Tov, Shin, Pei, Gimel. Good, it feels good saying that. New Year, beautiful new year, Baruch Hashem. New hopes, new aspirations, new Avadis Hashem. Soon we're going to start the Torah again in a couple of weeks. Ah, it feels so, it feels so good. In this week's Pasha, Moshe Abeno predicts some terrible events <clears throat> that are going to befall us and how we're going to stray after Moshe Abeno says, after I die, this nation's going to get up and they're going to stray after the the nations of the earth 
and Hashem's going to bring upon them all sorts of terrible punishments, and He's going to hide Himself from us, or make it look like He's hiding Himself from us, so that we we kind of think that we've been we've been abandoned. And the Torah says, "Vaya, and it shall be." When these many evil and distressing things come upon you, as we said before, then this song is going to speak up before HaKadosh Baruch Hu as, as a witness. Now it's so interesting that the words Vahaya <coughs> It shall be. And we've and we've discussed this before. Bahaya is always introduction of something that implies simcha. We always say Vayihi is always a, a a harbinger of impending tragedy. But Vahaya is Simcha. Remember you once explained it that Haya the out of vav is past. It was. Vihaya, put the vav there, turns it into it will be. Right? In what situation is there was something that's in the past? You'd like to flip it over and make it into the future. That's when something's good. I really enjoyed that. I'd love it to carry on into the future. While Vayahi is opposite. Yehi without the vav is future. Vayehi, and it was past. What things that are perhaps in the future would be love to flip around and make past? Those are events of tragic. We don't things that we don't look forward forward to. That that horrible dentist appointment. No offense to dentist. Whatever it is that we that we that we're dreading. We'd love it to be pastless. That's why vayehi is always impending disaster. Vahaya is impending simcha. So here we got a real problem. Because if Ahaya is usually used to imply simcha joy, and we really wonder, what is the portent of rois, rabbis, vitzaras, by many evils and distresses, what does that have to do with joy? On the surface, it comes across as a period which clearly does not denote Simcha. Srav Yitzhak Yedidya Frankel, Zal, was old Rav of Tel Aviv, offers a very inspiring explanation for the placement of the term Vahaya in connection with Tzareis Rabbis Vahaya, with these terrible tragedies and calamities. He quotes a Gemara, it's it's not it's not sorry it's he quotes a medrash in the psicha of Echorabasi who relates a powerful conversation that ensued between Avram Avinu and so to speak representatives of the Aleph Bays, which is of course the Hebrew alphabet. The Medrash relates Avraham Avinu's defense of the Jewish people. So he asked the Kaddish 
Why did you exile my children and deliver them into the hands of the other nations who have killed them with all sorts of unusual deaths? You destroyed the base of Mikdash, the place where I offered up my son Yitzchak as an oil offering before you. Hashem replied, Your children sinned and have transgressed the entire Torah and all the 22 letters of the Yifu alphabet that are in it. Avram counted, Rebunishlel, the master of the universe, who attested to your children's sinful behavior? Hashem replied, Let the Torah come forward to testify against the Jewish people. The Torah came forward and reiterated Hashem's accusation against the people. Avram Avinu said to the Torah, My daughter, you come to condemn the Jewish people of transgressing your precepts? Do you not remember the day that all refused to accept you? It was only Kaiso who immediately responded with Nasim and Ishmael, we'll do and we'll then listen. They accepted the mitzvahs, the commandments unequivocally. Now you come forward during their period of travail. Is this how you reward them for, for, for staying by you? When the Torah heard this, it moved to the side refusing to testify against the Jewish people. Hashem then called the 22 letters of the alphabet to testify against the people. The Aleph stepped forward to censor the people. Avram said to the Aleph, you are the first letter and you have come to testify against the Jewish people during their anguish? Do you not remember that auspicious day that Hashem revealed himself on Asinai and said, Anoichi Hashem, with the Aleph of Anoichi, and no nation was willing to accept, accept for the Jewish, for the Jewish people. And you come to testify against them? The Aleph moved aside and refused to testify. The base was called up. Avram spoke before the base. Even had a chance to denounce the people. Says, my daughter, you are coming to testify against the people who are diligent in all of the five books of the Torah? You are the first letter of the Torah, right? The base of Bereshus. The Jewish people have been committed to you. And you come to testify against them? Understandably, the base moved aside. Hashem called the letter Gimel, which fared no better. Avram brought up the mitzvah of Tzitzis, which begins with the letter Gimel. You shall make for yourself uh, the twisted threads. The Gimel moved Aside and did not testify against Yisrael. Once this occurred, the other letters of the alphabet followed suit. Hence, 
the Torah with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet came out in support of Klaisa. This is the reason that the Torah writes, Vahaya, a term which denotes joy, because what greater reason to rejoice than to know that we have the Torah's protection. And so, yes, we may have sinned, and yes, we may have strayed away from the will of our Kodesh Baruch Hu. And as we stand now, now days before Yom Kippur, and we say to our Kodesh Baruch Hu, we know that we have sinned. But that doesn't mean that our, our steadfast commitment to the Torah, to the 22 letters of the Torah, to everything the Torah stands for, has waned. Yes, unfortunately, we have the Torah. We have all kinds of desires and, and personal wants that, that play such a big role in our lives and entice us and sway us away from you. But <clears throat> that's not the key thing. We really want that all the Torah, which knows how much we want to keep it, will stand at our side and protect us. And Be'ez Hashem, this Yom Kippur, will be zarcha to a completely clean slate and, and the commitment that Be'ez Hashem this year will have more energy and more time and more verve and more enthusiasm and a greater desire to study the Torah of Hashem. This is 11.9 FM, Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Vayelach, Tov, Shin, Pei, Gimlin. As I said, it sounds really good to say that. Feels good rolling off the tongue as we start a beautiful, beautiful new year. How are we going to start this new year? What, what's the thing that we really want to put effort into? So I want to share with you a few words that really perhaps crystallize for us <clears throat> what it is that we need to want to do to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that's going to hopefully, as we stand before judgment and have our, <clears throat> our decision sealed for HaKadosh Baruch Hu on Yom Kippur to be able to get an idea of what it is that we need to do. So I take us back a couple of weeks ago to the parasha. Pasha Shoftim, the end of Pasha Shoftim, we have a discussion there about the Egla Rufa. It's a terrible story. There's a man who's been found murdered out in the felt. We have no idea who the murderer might have been. We know he meant he met his end by some kind of foul play. We don't know who the murderer is. So the Torah describes a procedure that has to be followed in this situation. And that involves, we have to measure from where the body is found to what is the nearest city, the nearest town, to where this person's body was found. And we, the, the assumption being, there's no fact to it, but the assumption that if it was found near to any town, it might very well be that he had some contact, some association, maybe had been present in that, in that town before meeting his end. And when they finally figure out which is 
the closest town to where the corpse is lying. So then, all the elders, all the judges, all the great leaders of that city have to come out. And they take a calf, a calf that has never been used for any work, that has not achieved yet anything in its life. And they take it to a barren valley where nothing has grown, nothing ever will grow. And they behead that calf in the valley to symbolize that just like this young calf that had all its life ahead of it and so much it could and perhaps would achieve and now would not achieve any of it. So too, this young person was just on a journey, just going somewhere and was so brutally robbed of the opportunity of making something out of his life. And they have to behead the cough. And they have to make the following declaration. Declaration. They say, they wash their hands over the cough, and they say, Our hands did not spill this blood. And we have no recollection, we have no inside knowledge of how this terrible, terrible deed could have happened. The Gemara in Saita is perplexed. What do you mean? That the elders, the judges, the great rabbis of that city have to make this declaration that our hands did not spill the blood? Did anyone in their remotest, wildest dreams ever for one second suspect that these men of erudite scholarship of great knowledge, of great Torah identity, would go out and brutally murder someone? So what does it mean? We declare we didn't kill him. Says the Gemara, it means that they're making a declaration that as far as we know, this person did not visit in our city. Because as he had he visited in our city, it would have been obligatory upon us to provide him with the rites and rituals associated with having guests, which includes, obviously, feeding the person, giving him food, giving him to drink, and then, if he needed accommodation, to give him accommodation. And lastly, when he was about to take his leave, to accompany him on his way. The mitzvah is called Levia, the mitzvah of accompanying someone as they leave the house. And there's halacha. It's brought in the Shulchan Aruch. And when you have a guest, when they leave, you're required to walk with them four cubits, two meters beyond the end of your property. And that is part and parcel of the mitzvah of welcoming guests. In fact, so far back as Avraham Avinu, we're told by Yita Eshel, he planted an Eshel, some kind of tree. And Chazal say that the word Eshel stands for Aleph Achila, 
a place where people could get food. Shin, a shtia, a place where people could get ample drink. And lamed, lamed could be either lina, the accommodation to stay overnight, or, or both levia, accompanying the person beyond your, their property. And the declaration that these elders are making is that we, as far as we are contest, this person did not come to our town because had he been in our town, we would surely have fulfilled our obligation of treating a guest properly. We would have fed him, we would have given him a drink, and we would have started him off on his, on his way. Because who knows if the fact that this person was murdered may have been because he wasn't provided with podcasts. He wasn't given food for the journey. And maybe he was sort of rummaging around for food where unfortunately he encountered some brute that ended his life. Or maybe he had no directions. He didn't know where he was going. And he was far blunted on the roads, somewhere maybe even far from where he needed to be, and, and came upon his his terrible, his terrible end. They have to declare we did not, we were not remiss in our obligation of welcoming this guest. And the Masha focuses on this for a second. It says, one second. Part of the obligation, we understand, to feed, take care of the guest. But what is this mitzvah of levia, of accompanying a person, which we said applies to the grand total of walking him two meters out of your property? Let's say, for example, you have a guest. And this guest leaves, and you ask him, where is he going? And he tells you he's going somewhere. But you know that arriving at that destination means passing through some of the most terrible, violent, sort of slum areas of the city where he's going to be in in terrible danger. Yet, if I walk two meters out of my property with him, I've done the mitzvah of accompanying him on the way. Really? With such a journey that he's about to take, what is walking with him two meters actually afford him in terms of protection? Says the Masha something astounding. He says that this is Dava Skuli. This is obviously some kind of a school. I can't translate the word schooler that a person who accompanies someone for two meters, that person will be protected and saved from danger on his way. Why? Because Kevin Cheiska, as soon as you began to accompany him, even for Amos, even if you're still in the city, you display Hare Kavanosoivadate. Your intention and your mindset is when doing that walking, I want this person to be safe. 
I want this person to reach his destination without any accident. I want him to have a good trip. And that Ratzon Uritzainai Mahani Leila Chaveroi Bechol Haderach. That Ratzon, that desire that I have that he should be protected, that he should get to his destination safely, helps him and protects him all the way of his journey. Latzilei, to save him. As it says in the Pasuk, Ritzain Yireyav Yaseh. Hashem does the will of those who fear him. If we merely walk a person two amas out of our, two, two meters out of our house and we give him a good wish, have a good journey, be safe, lech l'shalom, go in peace. That desire that we're expressing in those words is so strong that it protects the person for his entire journey. Or he says, perhaps alternatively what happens is, we know we all have angels that accompany us every moment of our lives. And maybe because I have such a strong desire that this person be protected, my angels walk with him and ensure that he gets to his destination safe and sound. And that is an unbelievable idea. My will to do something is so strong, it affects everything. It can, it can, it can sort of charter this person's route through dangerous category. And he's protected because I want him to be, to be protected. They say about Simcha Zisel, sorry, the altar from, from Slabotka. Right, uh, Finkel, that he used to make a point out of greeting people, sometimes even standing by his window and, and watching people going by and giving them brachas. And they asked him, Rebbe, you don't even know this person. Why are you giving him a bracha? He says, well, just because I don't know a person, shouldn't I, I, I express my desire that he should be successful, that he should have a good day, that he should be able to achieve whatever it is that he's setting out to achieve. Well, do we understand the power of a thought, of a true desire that comes from our heart to affect immense, immense things in our, in our life? And we realize the potential and the power of that as we approach the, the Yom Adadol, the day of the day of Yom Kippur, and what our desire can 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 achieve. Can I share with you a medrash? It's very strange medrash. It's a medrash that appears in Vayikra in chapter twelve. There was a man who unfortunately had a serious problem, had a drinking problem, and wasn't interested in AA. He, he could not control himself. And his children became quite concerned because obviously in order to feed his habits, he needed money. And they found that things in the house were disappearing. He was selling off 
the family jewels and things to buy strong drink. And the children were worried because this was their Yerusha, this was their inheritance, and it was all going to the, to the bar. And they said, we have to do something. We have to use some kind of a shock therapy to hopefully get our father to, to wake up and, and, and see that where his life is taking him and do something about, about, about changing himself. So one day when they, they made sure he got good and drunk, they picked him up and slept him off and put him down in the local cemetery. Quite sure that when he woke up and found himself there, he would get such a shock. It would kind of, you know, move him to his very core and hopefully he would change his way, realize that, you know, you know, there before the grace of God, go I. So I left him there. And as he was sleeping there, there was an army that was coming to wage a war. And their path, in order to avoid detection, led them through the cemetery. And as they were about to wage war, they realized they had to get into combat readiness. And one of the main heavy items that this army carried was their uh, way of dealing with stress and tension. And that was some good strong drink. And that's how they would sort of deal with the pressures of war. And they realized as the battle was impending, if, if they would take their drink with them, it would be too heavy, it would be too cumbersome. So they decided to hide it somewhere. And then, please God, when they were victorious, they would come back and, and pick it all up. So they unloaded all of the amazing cache of, of, of whiskey that they had in, in the cemetery and went off to do battle. A day later, our friend woke up, looked around him, and found himself completely surrounded by the most unbelievable collection of, of whiskeys and, and bourbons and all types of drink from all over the world. He literally, as far as he was concerned, woke up in Ghanaian. So that when the children came a day or two later to check on him, hoping they would find him sober and, and contrite in his ways, they saw him as drunk as ever, as happy as ever. And they didn't understand, but they realized there was nothing they could do. And they put him in a, locked him up in a house, and it took turns providing for, for, his, for his needs. Says Rav Desla, do we understand what the story is telling us? This person had one will and one desire in life, which unfortunately for him was to get shikha. But Hashem did miracles to feed that desire. 
Hashem brought this army there to give him what it was that he wanted. And that is the power of our will. That if we want something and we want it badly enough, it's going to happen. Hashem's going to bring it about. And therefore, as we stand before Yom Kippur and we think about what do I need to do? How do I get myself ready for this? Yes, perhaps scary, very solemn, very important, very momentous day. And the answer is, I have to ask myself one question. And that is, what do I want? The stakes are high, whatever it is I can ask for. What do I want in my life? Are my goals just more physical achievement? A nicer car, another house, some kind of financial security? Or do I also have some higher goals. I really, really would like to be able to enjoy my davening, to be able to understand what I'm saying. I really would like to have the opportunity to study more Torah, to come closer to Akadosh I really would like to get involved in some kind of project that will be helpful and beneficial to other members of our community. If that's what you want, if that is your Ratzon, then HaKadosh Baruch will bring that about. Because there is nothing stronger than a person's will. And just like a person walking four cubits with a guest and issuing words of blessing, can have a profound effect of accompanying that person on his entire journey. The things we really want and desire on Yom Kippur, those are the things that the Abishta, the Holy Abishta, is going to aid, is going to make happen for us as we start this year of Tav Shempegim. This is 11.9 Chai FM. We'll be back in a jiffy. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, soul to soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Vayelech, Tav, Shin, Pei, Gimel, as we start in a new year. And it's such a joy to have you with us and to be able to share some words of Torah, some words of Chizak, some words of energizing ourselves and preparing ourselves for Yom Kippur together. But as you always do at this point on the broadcast, just to give you the important details, you need to know for this coming Shabbos, Pashas Vayelach. So <clears throat> this afternoon, the earliest time for lighting your Shabbos candles is at 4.50, 10 minutes to 5 is the earliest time. And of course we know that the first Shabbos of the year sets the tone for all the other Shabbos. So let's try this week to get started as early as possible. Let's get all the food warm. Obviously, many of us have certain challenges. Again, 
this week with load shedding either happening just before Shabbos starts or maybe just after Shabbos starts and the, the challenge becomes either getting the food warm before Shabbos or keeping it warm from the time Shabbos begins until we get to have our meal. But these are challenges that we're getting used to. Unfortunately, it's becoming a commonplace thing. So everyone has their own system, but get it done early so that we can start the Shabbos as soon as possible. 4.50 is plenty of time still from now. It's almost like two hours uh, from, from now to get to get it done. Let's Let's make an effort. If we can't get to the earliest time, then the latest time for benching Licht this week is at 6. No, it's not. It's 5.49. 5.49, 11 minutes before 6 o'clock is the latest time for lighting our, our Shabbos candles. Make sure everything is ready and set up and good to go before that time because that really is our our a deadline for starting Shabbos 549. Uh, Shkia is at 607, and that's absolute, as we said, injury time. You're really, really in a desperate situation, and uh, uh, if you don't use that time, you're going to end up spending Shabbos. Who knows when in what situation? Then one can use that time, but it's not to be used. We start our Shabbos at uh, at 11 minutes to 6, that is when the candles should be lit. That is when everything should should start to, to happen. If you want to be able to daven myriv and not have to repeat the Krishna, we have to wait till 6.25. If you hold off with myriv until 25 past 6, that already is nighttime. And then you will not have to repeat the Shema again sometime later in the, in the evening. And then we're free. To spend the rest of the evening enjoying our beautiful Shabbos meal with family and friends and, and, and loved ones and maybe a few beautiful Divrei Torah and, and some Zemiris and are really, 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 as we said, first Shabbos of the year, let's make it a prototype for the whole year of something really, really beautiful and special. Tomorrow, Kriya Torah, tomorrow's landing is Pashas Vayelach. Don't blink. Or you might miss it. It is the shortest laning of, or as in terms of a parsha of the entire year, just 30 sukkim, but they're power packed. Boy, there's a lot of message in those 30, in those 30 sukkim. And of course, because this week is Shabbos Shuva, which gets its name from the special Haftarah. We read this week, Shuvah Yisrael HaRashem Lekech, from the end of the book of Hosea, with other portions added, added in. This is a stirring clarion call to sort of wake us up and get us to realize that the most important part of these 10 days of repentance is repentance. There's nothing nothing to take away, nothing to, to say instead of that. So that is that is the, the Aftarah for, for this for this uh, this week, and the Shabbos continues beautifully in many places. There'll be some kind of shurim. The rov will give some kind of a a drush or some kind of words of of inspiration in terms of of the of the upcoming uh, uh, yom in terms of the upcoming fast. Uh, we're finished with Pirkei Avos now, so we go straight through the mincha, and Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night. 
at 6.39, 21 minutes before 7. And, of course, we go from there into the last four days of the Assertion Eichuvah, Sunday, Monday. Tuesday, of course, is Erev Yom Kippur. Of course, Tuesday and Wednesday is Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur it, itself. I want to spend a few minutes on this mitzvah, that mitzvah, this custom we have of starting Yom Kippur with this ceremony called Kol Nidre. And it's funny, on the holiest day of the year, the day which the Torah designates as the day of atonement, Yom Kippurim, for the sins of the Jewish people, it begins with a little understood but quite emotionally charged Kol Nidre service for reasons which are not completely known to us. The compilers of the Yom Kippur Machsa chose Kol Nidre, which is basically a halachic procedure for annulling certain kind of oaths and vows as the opening chapter of the Yom Kippur service. Obviously then, there's more to Kol Nidre than meets the eye. So let's try, try to take just a bit of a deeper look. It's known that Kol Nidre dates back to ancient times, possibly as far back as the era of the Anshek Nesis HaGadayla, which was before the building of the second Besamekdash. The earliest written version, though, is in the Siddur, of Rav Amram Gon, who lived in the 9th century. Already then, the exact reason for reciting Kol Nidra and Yom Kippur was not clearly understood. And the Goinim and the early Rishonim struggled with its exact meaning and, and purpose. In earlier times, much more so than, than today, people were inclined to accept upon themselves different types of self-imposed obligations or restrictions in order to ensure that these would actually be kept people would sort of uh, label their self-imposed obligation as either a neder a vow or a shvua an oath thus giving it actual legal force. The binding status of vows and oaths and the horrific and tragic consequences of violating them are discussed in several places in the Torah and in, 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 in the words of Chazal. But the Torah also recognizes that sometimes these vows and oaths were undertaken without due consideration of the consequences. More often than not, the individual making the oath did not realize how difficult it would be to keep it. Sometimes an oath was declared in anger or out of spite, and eventually the individual, the individual regretted his, his, uh, his words and wished to revoke them. To that end, the Torah provided a legal formula called HaTorah Snedarim, allowing a petitioner to present his case 
before a basin in order to find a legal loophole and extricate the petitioner from his plight. The process involves complex halachas, and indeed not always can the court release the person from his, from his vow. Now, before begging HaKadosh Baruch Hu for atonement of sins on Yom Kippur, it's imperative that each individual absolve himself of any vows or oaths that he may have made and subsequently violated. The severity of violating an oath or a vow is such that it may block or interfere with the entire atonement process. Consequently, one who is aware of any violations of oaths or vows that he may have committed is strongly urged to petition a Jewish court in order to find a way out of his self-imposed obligation. Indeed, it's become customary that already on Er Rosh Hashanah, all males petition a Beisden for Hataras Nidarim. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment with some final comments. This is 101.9. Chai FM, the program is Soul to Soul, and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul, back on your way to Hilchos Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Vayelach, Tavshim, Pekim, and as we start a new year, we are talking about so as we said, kind of vows and oaths are really not common in our times. It would seem, therefore, that the halacha gasped of Kol has little practical application. But when properly understood, Kol can be used as a tool to rectify a fairly common halachic problem. There is a well-known ruling in the Shulchan Aruch that any proper custom, once accepted and followed, may not be dropped without undergoing a Nadarim. People who adopt even simple, proper customs, which they are not obligated to practice, such as, I don't know, saying to him every day, right? And without making it belineder, that it shouldn't be a vow, Right, require a Torah Nidorim should they decide to discontinue their practice. This is where Kol Nidre can help. As he said before, Rabbi Natam explained that Kol Nidre is a declaration that invalidates the legal force of certain future vows. Contemporary Poiskim rule that proper customs from which an individual wishes to absolve himself, although he neglected to make the Blined stipulation initially, are included in the Kol Nidre Declaration invalidating such vows. The proper custom may now be then discontinued. Just a couple of the rules involved. Since Kol Nidre is a halachic procedure, for nullifying certain specific future vows. So the following conditions must be met. Number one, each individual must understand exactly what is being said in Kol Nidre. 
Since a legal declaration is being made, if one does not understand what he is declaring, his statement cannot have legal force. The difficult Aramaic text should therefore be studied and understood before Yom Kippur night. Each individual must verbally recite Kol Nidre along with the Chazan. Obviously, the Chazan cannot make such a declaration for anyone but himself. It should not be recited in an undertone, but loudly enough for a person nearby to hear. If it is whispered too softly, it may be invalid. And number three, Kol Nidre should be recited while it's still daylight, since the process of annulling vows and the declaration of voiding them in the future should not be done on Shabbos or, 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 Yom, or Yom Tov. That's about all the time we have this week. There's lots more to say, but unfortunately the time is limited. I want to take the opportunity to wish all of you, first of all, to thank you for joining us on this week's show. I hope you got something out of it and that you're as inspired as I am to really want to want things and that uh, Hashem should grant us all a beautiful Shabbos, the first Shabbos of the year. And Be'ez Hashem, as you prepare for Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur should be a day that has so much meaning, that is so powerful, that is so inspiring and uplifting for us that we hardly even realize that we haven't eaten for 25 hours. And Hashem should make it as easy for us to be able to keep the fast and, and keep all the halachas and do whatever we need to do on, on that day. May the Ebesh be with us. May we all be zeicher to a year, to a chasimah, to a ceiling of a life full of happiness, health, nachas, parnosa, clarity of thought so that we can go forward without the confusion and the discombobulation that so many people are suffering from. And of course, the greatest gift of all, the peace, internal, external, communal, and world peace that will bring HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Hashem Lamelech Hashem's renown will be known to every single person. To each and every one of our radio family, a beautiful good chance.